Beth Wee in the studio, and I brought some of the crew together to have a family session. We want to talk to you about stuff you just don't understand because, gratefully, you don't suffer from addiction. So there's the question of willpower. Why is it that the person I love doesn't just put down the, the drug, the alcohol, the behavior, whatever it is, whatever addictive presence is tearing up our home, tearing up our workspace, tearing up our, our love affair? Why don't they just quit? I'm welcoming some crew members with me today. I have Missy, Jackie, and Donald in the house. And today I want you guys to talk to the families and to the loved ones and to the workmates of people struggling with addiction. Why didn't you just quit if it was getting in the way of your life? Anybody? Well, um, for me, it didn't look like it was in the way, <laughs> number one. Uh, number two, um, I think it's about uh, this uh, physical uh, craving that I have. It's not a matter of will. It's a matter of uh, of have to, um, right? Am I right? Am I saying the right? I'm yeah, I think craving. Craving is yeah, a kind of obsession, a obsession. I think is maybe a a word too. You know, there were many times when you know my children would say, "Mom, you know, you're killing yourself. Why can't you just stop?" You know, and I had no answer prior to recovery. Why? I couldn't stop, you know, and it was learning about that obsession, that that need that I thought I had to drink and drug, and uh, it it rules. It takes over every part of your life, and you know I couldn't answer the question. I I had no idea why I continued, knowing that I was destroying my family, I was destroying my health, I was destroying everything. It was like Jackie was a tornado going through the house and everything in its path got destroyed. And, um, you know, there, it wasn't a matter of willpower. Um, many, many days I'd say, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drug. And an hour later, the drink was in my hand or the drug was in front of me. I had no idea why I couldn't stop. Mm, that's intense. You know, when you're listening and you've never lived through that, you just heard about two different uh, phases of addiction. One is craving or a physical, a physiological. Some of you that might have gamblers in your family, instead of an addict or an alcoholic, you're thinking, well, there's nothing physiological except they're taking money out of our wallets. And that's not it. There is an endorphin rush. There is a physiological response to the addictive uh, behavior just as there is to the addictive substance. So physiologically, there is a call for it. Some uh, years ago, a, a doctor named Silkworth, who, who worked with Bill Wilson and uh, Dr. Bob Smith that started Alcoholics Anonymous, he looked at addiction from a different view, and he called it an allergy, an abnormal physiological reaction other people don't have that reaction, but alcoholics did have a reaction. It was a craving, the phenomenon of craving. And then he talked about a mental obsession. 
something that got in the head of the of the alcoholic where they couldn't stop thinking about it but what about the third part we are three natures the spiritual nature that's the part that also affects the family because your addict starts doing things they would never have done Jackie, as a mother, would you have ever wanted to hurt your children? Not in a million years. And I, a lot of that, I thought I was a good mother. I would show up at the games half in the bag, but I would show up. You know, they had everything they needed uh, from a physical standpoint. New Nikes, uh, you know, the, the nice clothes, whatever they wanted. But, you know, emotionally, I was not there. Spiritually, uh, I was not setting a good example. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. The demoralization is the third part, that spiritual part where you move away from your own moral standards, and that's just part of the progression of addiction. So willpower has nothing to do with it. Missy, you said your dad said something to you about willpower once. Yeah, he did. He, I called him to have him do a family um, gathering session in a program I was trying to do at the time. And I knew he wouldn't come. But the biggest thing he said to me was, Missy, why can't you just use your willpower to stop drinking? And, of course, I'm crying, talking to him, and not even realizing what he was saying. But at that time, I had no... I was powerless over that alcohol. I could not stop on my own will. And I didn't know how to get a higher power's will because I never had a connection with the source, a God, a power greater than myself, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, I think like the, the, the family dynamics too. You know, in the beginning when I was trying to get sober, my family was supportive of me. But then as time went on, it got to the point where it's like, well, why do you have to keep going to those meetings? Why do you have to keep, you know, trying to do this? And trying to explain to somebody who's not an alcoholic about the disease of alcoholism is really, really difficult to do. Um, and I think in the long run, though, as time progressed, they, sa they saw the attitude change. They saw a presence in me that, would, that was never there before. And when I would have to be at a family function with all my relatives drinking around me, I would have to excuse myself, leave, go to a meeting. And they couldn't understand why I had to leave at that time. Can't, couldn't you do it early in the, in the morning? It's been oh years my gosh. since then. Why well, here's a perfect go? example. I love this example. I was down in the Keys visiting, and we were on our way to Sombrero Beach. And there was a meeting room that I would go to in the morning at 8 a.m. every morning. And my mother is sitting next to me. My girlfriend's in the back seat, and I'm pointing out. I'm like, oh, that's where the AA meeting is. My mother says to me, I'm so glad you can do that first thing in the morning and get it out of the way for the rest of the day. <laughs> and, and at that point, I just wanted to, to go to the meeting room. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't get it. They don't get it. Yeah. And, and if you're listening and somebody you love is struggling with addiction, it's okay that you don't get it, but you can still be supportive. What are some of the supportive things that have happened to you? with people that kind of got it. I'm not going to understand, but I'm going to allow you to get better. What would you, what, what would be some, some tools that you would give the family members so they would know what would help you? Anybody? Well, the first thing I think is um, not trying to manage that person. Uh, I think 
give them a chance to prove that they're not drinking anymore. I think one of the things I see over and over again is somebody that um, has promised over and over and over again to stop drinking and failed over and over and over again. Now that they're in AA, they don't understand why the family still thinks they might be a drunk. And so uh, we have to allow them to go to meetings and, and to <clears throat> have the possibility that they might not drink, that they're not gonna drink. Let's just think for, for the time being that they've licked this problem and, and that AA is working, even though at times it may seem like they're exhibiting the same kind of behavior. Mm. Interesting. The other thing I think for me was um, Al-Anon you know, a sister program. Um, and my mother wouldn't, she couldn't understand and she wasn't willing to open up her mind. I even asked her if she would go to Al-Anon so that she could better understand me because I couldn't tell her what was going on. She just wasn't, you know, open to it. And I hate to say it, but she declined. She, she wasn't willing to go to an Al-Anon meeting for me because she had done it years earlier for somebody else and it didn't work so i think that left a bitter taste in her mouth but that's a good source for yeah, family one of the one of the symptoms of people that have a drunk or an addict in their life one of the symptoms that, that the non-drinker that the family member starts to exhibit is a tendency to want to control the mm -hmm. environment that they're in in whatever way they can you know we're having dinner now uh, you've got to be home now, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It's a very hard thing because it's kind of subtle and we tend to do it anyways as humans, but if you can relax that control a little on the person, uh, take a step back, live your own life, focus on yourself and not on the other person. I think that's really hard to get, but it's a key component. Well, I think for a lot of people listening, they've been managing for that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, the bills were paid, but I paid them, not you. You, right. you might have done the work and put the money in the account, but I paid the bills. I made sure the kids were fed. I made sure the dog was walked. And now you're coming back into this life, and, and these are my roles, not yours. Whose roles are we dealing with here? You know, they only knew me as an addict and an alcoholic, so I think part of the process is allowing me to discover me, you know, right. my authentic self, the person that God intended me to be. Because years and years, I've just stuffed that person into a box and closed the lid, and you know, they only knew me as a one-sided person, as the alcoholic. So, you know letting that person grow spiritually and develop into the person they want to be is is helpful i mean just allow a little bit of time and change to take place and and uh, look at the possibility there yeah i, lo I love the term uh, wear life like a loose garment it, it's a perfectly descriptive metaphor for the way you want to be around each other right go with the flow don't freak out when something isn't going exactly the way you want to just try and get to the next thing, you know, like just go with the flow. Well, I do believe that we teach people how to treat us. And in active addiction, we have taught some lessons that we now in recovery would want to 
pull back on and say, wait a minute, it's not like that anymore. I can do this myself. And for you listening, that's hard because to not have that control is uh, to, it's a, it's a form of trust. And the person hasn't really earned your trust yet. They are just learning how to walk next to you instead of behind you. And walking next to you is where you're gonna be happy. That's where you're gonna find happiness, no matter what the role, whether you're an employer, a spouse, a child, a parent, however you're related to the addict, it's better if you walk next to each other instead of one in front of the other. I wanna go back to the beginning where we talked about willpower and why can't somebody just stop doing something? And uh, Jackie sparked something in me when she was talking about the obsession. Uh, I thought about my first crush when I was a teenager. I had a crush on this girl and uh, I couldn't stop thinking about her every day. You know, I couldn't wait to get to school to see her. I, I would watch her during the day, you know, and then uh, if I could talk to her, we, we might have a conversation. I lived for those moments. And then I'd go home at night and I'd be doing homework and I'd be daydreaming about what it would be like if only we could be together. And I don't know, you know, if you've never had that experience, you won't know what I'm talking about. But if you can imagine that the girl is alcohol or the addiction, that's what it's like for an addict or an alcoholic, right? It's this thing, like I could no more stop thinking about that girl when I was 13. There's no way I could do that. And, and no matter how much my dad might have said, son, I love you, but stop thinking about that girl. Uh, sorry, I just couldn't. The obsession was so strong. And that's what it's like with the booze. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about booze since I was 13. The first time I had a drink and even though I'm not drinking now I'm still thinking about it because I'm always trying to stay away from it. well that's that's that so so that you just kind of led us into one other place Donald you're st still thinking about it but you haven't had a drink in a little bit does this ever stop do you ever is there ever going to be a reprieve for the family is it do, is this just part and parcel of who you are that you go to meetings or you work a program or whatever, all that terminology that you, you use, which kind of makes us feel on the outside. Um, is, it, is, it a, is that how it's gonna be for the rest of our lives? For me, it, yes, it is. It's definitely, I'm, uh, <laughs> there's no way I can ever go back to drinking safely. I mean, I have to look at it as, as a disease and my disease is in remission. It's still inside of me. It'll always be inside of me. As long as, it's, as, long as I don't trigger it by taking that first drink, then I'm going to be okay. Um, that disease is still there. But if I put it into motion, I'm going to be that alcohol in my disease or that alcoholic in my disease. You know, I was thinking too when we were talking about that is the awareness is half the problem solved and the action is the other half. Um, I have to be aware of what's going on. My family has to be aware of what's going on. There were so many times when I did say, today I'm not going to drink. I'm going to get sober. I'm going to go to meetings. And I would do it. And the family didn't believe me. And I would prove them right time and time again. So that patience and tolerance from the family is really, really important because you just never know when somebody, it's finally going to click for them. Um, 
and, and, and the action is just doing the next net right thing, not telling them, hey, look how good I'm doing. I'm doing a program. I'm doing really well. They don't need to hear that. They need to see that. So Yeah. We're going to wrap it up because we're, we want people to go on about their lives. But know that uh, once you're a pickle, you're never a cucumber. That's a saying that they have around drinking circles. Once, you're an once you've realized you're an alcoholic, you'll never be able to drink safely. And last thing I want to leave the families with, it's a disease, not a choice. Um, your, your Aunt Bessie that has diabetes didn't pick that, didn't choose that, didn't, wasn't a moral bad girl so she got diabetes because she ate too much sugar. It's a disease. It's not a choice. Be patient, be tolerant, get support for yourself and watch what the higher power can do. Never stop praying for your addict. Thanks guys for being here. Thank you. Have, okay. yeah. yeah, we'll talk Don't again soon. <laughs> it's time to take addiction out of the shadows and shine the encouraging light of recovery on everyone affected. Good Seed Podcast is powered by BethWE.com, a nonprofit ministry based in Vero Beach, Florida. We'll start the uncomfortable conversations that turn despair into hope and complacency into action. Connect, communicate, and thrive with us. Check us out online at BethWE.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk again soon.